0: From the 14th century, the term liberal was used really in a very positive sense. Uh, Originally, the the term liberal carried with it the idea of being selfless, being generous. You could even go so far as to say magnanimous, which would mean to be great soul. Uh, But in the 15th century, the term took on a more negative meaning. Uh, A negative use of it with the word referring to unrestricted extravagance, and, and then have that extravagance in a, in a very negative sense, and unrestricted, just to go, uh, just to go crazy, to go wild, so to speak. But then, during the 16th and 17th centuries, the term "liberal" most commonly referred to one who was free from restraint. Now, that term "free from restraint" still. Is there today. But it, in the 17th century, this idea of free from restraint had a negative sense, and it was really used as a term of reproach. Well, here's this person is liberal, that is. Uh, they, they, they do not restrain themselves from anything. But in the Enlightenment period, the 18th century, a more positive use of the term was revived. And so there was still this sense of freedom or uh, unrestricted but it was freedom from prejudice and freedom from bigotry. And so there was this idea of being tolerant. The common use of the term liberal today uh, among Christians, uh, among members of the church, uh, really came into use in the early 20th century. And it referred to a preacher or a minister or maybe a particular church or congregation that was less dogmatic. And so there's this sense of freedom from restrictions of truth and freedoms from being restricted by apostolic doctrine or biblical authority. And so, because of that, we refrain from encouraging brethren to be liberal. Because liberal, the term, carries a stigma of tolerance error. Brethren, the truth of the matter is that preachers, elders, really ought to encourage the church to be liberal in the true sense, the original sense of the term. Because the scriptures admonish us to be liberal. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, 8, and 11, we see that Jehovah God through Moses taught Israel to be liberal. Jehovah God said, there are poor that are in the land. Give to those that are poor, those that have, give to those that do not have. If they have a need, you satisfy that need. In verse 7, in verse 8, you do that greatly. That is, do not do that restrictively, but do that very generously with a wide hand. You know, if one of my sons came up to me and Uh, Say my wife has uh, one of my sons, Anthony, and he's going to go to the store for me and I have to give him some money to get something. And so I've got a $100 bill. And I take that $100 bill and I hold it out to Anthony and he grabs a hold of it. Kind of hard for me to let go of a $100 bill to my 19-year-old son. Jehovah God said, do that with a wide hand. If there are poor, do it with a wide hand. Give them all that they need. And then verse 11 the poor will always be with you in the land. And so here's what Jehovah God told ancient Israel. Be liberal, be very liberal, and be very liberal as long as you have to be, and that's going to be as long as there are those that have need. And so we see then that sense of selfless generosity. The Bible admonishes us to be liberal. John the Baptist. When you think of John the baptizer, John the immerser, John the Baptist and his preaching, what did he preach? Well, he was the one to prepare the way of the Lord. But what did he preach? We know what he preached. He preached, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that's not all that he preached. Luke, of all of the gospel writers, is the only one who gives us a sense of what else John preached. John preached a moral reform, which also was prophesied. This is what he would do. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 Malachi wrote in the closing of that book, Remember the words of the law. Remember the law of Moses. Remember the law that I gave to Moses. Verse 5. And then in verse 6, he says, I will send Elijah the prophet. Well, what's he going to do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. What does that mean? Luke tells us in a commentary on that verse, in Luke chapter 1, I believe verse 17, where John would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the disobedient children to the wisdom of the just father. And he would teach them to be liberal. He's going to turn them back to the law. To learn to teach them to be just according to the law. Now in Luke chapter 3, we see that John certainly was preparing the way of the Lord. He was preaching, there is one that will come after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with spirit and with fire. He said the axe is laid to the root of the tree and as he is preaching and teaching the people say what then shall we do? And he teaches this moral reform and he's teaching to the general population, he's teaching to the publicans, he's teaching to the soldiers and to the general population he says be merciful be compassionate. If you have two coats give to someone who doesn't have one. If Uh, You have food, give to those who do not have. He says, be liberal, be generous, be selfless, be self-sacrificing. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Paul instructs us, one of the primary purposes for working. Why do you work? Why do you go clock in every day? Work 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week to pay the bills, to, to put back money? Paul said, here's why you need to work. Let him that stole steal no more but let him labor with his hands. Why? That he may give to them that have need. Paul said work so you can be liberal with that uh, treasure that God has given you. And so the Bible admonishes us to be liberal. We ought to preach and to teach. Church, be liberal. Be selflessly generous. In order to practice liberality, we have to have an attitude of liberality. And there are two key factors, at least two key factors to possess an attitude of liberality. And Here they are. Number one, we have to be self-sacrificing. Number two, we have to give without any expectation of getting anything back in return. Now whenever we think of this idea of self-sacrificing, my mind immediately goes to Luke chapter 21 and we read of this poor widow. And she is in the temple and she there, are, there were about 15 treasure boxes where those who would come into the temple area, they could give money and there would be these boxes and there would be the opening for these boxes were horn shaped and people would put their money there and it would go down into the box and these boxes would be labeled. It might be labeled wood for the wood that would be used for the fire for the sacrifice. It might be labeled for animals. Perhaps there, were one, there was one labeled for widows. Jesus says, Of all these that have given all of this great treasure, they gave out of their abundance. But she, the King James, and I love this term, out of her penury, her deep poverty, her scarcity. Money for her was scarce. What was she going to eat? She didn't know. What was she, where was she going to find clothes? She wasn't sure but she was going to make sure that others would have. Here was a woman who was very selfless, self-sacrificing. But another characteristic of the attitude of liberality is expecting nothing in return. Luke chapter 14 is a great chapter on discipleship. In fact, I'm convinced that the book of Luke, more than any other book in the New Testament, is a great book on discipleship and in Luke chapter 14 Jesus teaches lessons on discipleship verses 1 through 6 he teaches one of the lessons of discipleship is to practice mercy even on the Sabbath day be merciful but then in verses 7 through 14 he teaches humility and there are those that have come to this feast where Jesus is and Jesus is a preacher Jesus is performing miraculous works Jesus is raising those from the dead and all of these Jews have gathered together and they're rushing in and they want to sit close to Him to hear what He has to say, to hear of the things that He has done, perhaps even to listen to Him and catch Him and trap Him in His Word. But they want to be close. So Jesus says, whenever you come to a gathering, don't try to get the best seat. Don't take the first seat. Take the lower seat. And then, when you are brought up to the first seat, you will be honored. How do do you... How are you an honored guest practicing humility? And then he turns to the host and he looks around and he sees all of these that have been invited to this great feast. And they are those who are going to give this man something in return. They have money, they have possessions, they have um, social status. And they're all there just rubbing elbows. And Jesus said, if you want to be an honored host, practice humility and mercy and invite those to your feast who are poor and halt and maim, those who cannot pay you back for the good that you have done them. That is a characteristic that we must have as an attitude of, of liberality. We have to be self-sacrificing and we have to give expecting nothing in return. Now whenever we think about the true liberality of Christianity. and what areas of life can we practice liberality? That is, where we can be selfless and generous. Three things immediately come to mind, and there are things that will always be spoken. Time, talents, and treasures. It's easy to remember it that way. Time, talents, and treasures. What do you do with your time? Well, I'm working. But what do you do with your free time? Well, I have hobbies. I'm doing some things for myself. What do you do for others with your time? See, we should take our time and use it, be liberal with our time, selfless, giving to others our time, expecting nothing in return. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul said, redeeming the time, buying up opportunities. In other words, use your time, make the most use of it, helping others. Be liberal with your time. So we have the area of time. There's also our talents. Our talent. Whenever we think of using our talents, we could think of a number of Bible characters who use their talents in a good way for others. My mind immediately went to Acts chapter 9, 36 through 39. And there was this woman in, in Joppa, her name was Tabitha, which by interpretation is Dorcas or Gazelle. And she died. And Peter was very close and they went for Peter and brought Peter to her and all of the widows of Joppa came and showed all of these things that she had made for them with the ability that she had. You go and look at Dorcas's closet, you're going to not find enough shoes to shod the whole town. You're not going to find her closet so full you can't get anything else in there. But you go throughout Joppa and you will find these widows who were provided by the talent of Dorcas. What do we do with our talent? Do we use them to benefit ourselves or are we liberal with them? Generous, self-sacrificing, helping to provide for others. Then, of course, there is the liberality of our treasures. And I would guess, if I were to survey everyone individually, who is a New Testament character, a figure from the New Testament who who demonstrated liberality generosity, uh, selflessness with their treasures, how many of us would say Barnabas? We immediately would just say Barnabas. Acts chapter 4. This is where I want to spend the balance of our time. Not on liberality with our treasures. This is not going to be a lesson on giving more money. What I want us to do, as much as time will allow is look at the liberality of Barnabas. Not just in giving treasures, but just in Barnabas' character, period. We see in Barnabas a liberal spirit. We see in Barnabas a spirit of selfless generosity, what I would call the true liberality of Christianity. Three thoughts that I will endeavor to consider. And it's a give, take, and give with Barnabas. That's what we're going to see. We're giving, we're taking, we're giving. And this this attitude, this character of liberality with Barnabas. Number one, in Barnabas we see the liberal spirit of giving up advantage. Giving up advantage. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And I want us to read together verses 36 and 37. When we are first introduced to Barnabas, we see this liberal spirit This selfless generosity in this man who is giving up advantage for the benefit of others. Acts 4, 36 and 37. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is son of consolation, son of exhortation, son of... And and this is the underlying thought through this whole study, the son of encouragement. He was a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay. First introduced to Barnabas, we see he is a man who is giving up advantage. Now, what about this land? He could have used this land to advantage himself. I've got land. How much land did he have? I don't know. It would have to be a sizable enough possession to warrant giving the money to the apostles to make a difference. You know, he could have taken that land. If let's, let's look at let's examine the text and make an application all at the same time. He could, if it was today, he could have taken that land and he could have divided it up. He could have sold out lots and he could have made money hand over fist. He could have rented that land out to a farmer and they could have sold a grain and he could have said, I'll take a certain percentage of the harvest every year and I will advantage myself, I will increase myself. He could have sold the land as he did and kept the money for himself. He could have done like Ananias and Sapphira. I'll give the money, but I'll keep that part of it, but I'll look good to everybody. But Barnabas was a man who was great-souled. Barnabas was a man who was selfless. He was generous. He was a man who was liberal with his possessions and gave up what could advantage himself for the advantage of others. You know, the Apostle Paul also is a great example of giving up advantage. If you could go to any time, where would you go? In history, any time, I would want to walk with Paul. I believe I would want to walk with Paul. Can you imagine Paul coming as a young man from Tarsus to Jerusalem sitting at the feet of Gamaliel? Here is Paul at the school of Hillel and I have an idea that after about 30 days, after just a few weeks of class, everyone was looking at Paul and saying, he is going to be something special. This is the star pupil of the school of Hillel. There really has been no one before him. There will probably be no one after him like him. This is the one to watch. I say that because of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul said, I profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation. There were those when I was in school that I excelled above them all. And whenever I was out of school and I was a Pharisee, I excelled above them all. But in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul said, but what things were gained to me, those things that would have advantaged me in this life, socially, Uh, in the Jews' religion where I could have profited. I could have been perhaps uh, uh, on the Sanhedrin. I could have been perhaps the head of the Sanhedrin. But I gave all of that up for Christ to advantage others. You know, I think it's worthy to note just here that a liberal spirit of giving up encourages others. Again, we're first introduced to Barnabas What's he doing? Giving up advantage for himself to advantage others, and because of at that same time we learn his name is Joseph, but what is he? Who is he? Called Barnabas, son of encouragement. Now, if we look back a little bit in Acts chapter five, or rather uh, Acts chapter four, uh, verse thirty-four, we see that there were those who had lands; they sold it and they gave that money so that there would be none that would fail. Now, was Barnabas the first one that had done that? He's mentioned afterwards. Did Barnabas see others doing that? And then he did that himself. It doesn't really matter. The point is, whenever we are liberal, when we are selfless and generous, we encourage others to do the same. But we also encourage those who are enduring difficulties. Now you look at Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, and man, look at what the apostles were dealing with. Great persecution, they were beaten, they were thrown in prison, they were commanded not to teach and preach in the name of Christ anymore. You're going to bring this man's blood on us. But whenever they saw Barnabas, whenever they saw the son of encouragement turn the corner and walk toward them, a smile went on their face. You you know someone, whenever you see them and they're walking towards you, you just immediately start to smile. Because you know it's fixing to get better. That was Barnabas. So whenever we practice liberality, we encourage others. And so we ought to be liberal like Barnabas. Selfless and generous, willing to give up advantage for ourselves that others may be advantaged. Number two. <clears throat> we see in Barnabas the liberal spirit of taking the back seat. Now don't you just think about that for a moment. And again The underlying thought here is encouraging others. The underlying thought here is benefiting others. The underlying thought here is benefiting others through Christ. The liberal spirit of taking the back seat. say, what in the world are you talking about? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I want us to note something here. Acts chapter 11, and let's look at verse 30. The context here is... There, were, there was a famine in Judea. The church at Antioch sent uh, funds and food down into Judea by, notice verse 30, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Notice Barnabas and Saul. We're look at chapter 12 and look at verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Look at chapter 13 and verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, notice the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Well, look at verse 7. Which with the deputy of the country, Sergius, when the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul. What? You see the theme there? Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Look at verse 6 here. Acts 13 and verse 6. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos. Oh, they come to Cyprus. They begin at Salamis. And they go across the island. And they come to Paphos. Then, Sergius Paulus says, I want to hear Barnabas and Saul. All right, they come to Paphos. Now look at verse 13. Now when Paul and his company... What happened to Barnabas? Acts chapter 14... Verse 11. And when the people saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Laconia, Ly- Lyca- the gods were come down to us in the likeness of men, and they called Barnabas J- Jupiter, and Paul, Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Barnabas and Paul, 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 Paul and his company. Bar- Paul is the chief speaker. Paul Now, This is not to say that when we read further in chapter 15, you'll see it two times, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But have you ever just wondered how many times Barnabas is mentioned in the book of Acts? 23 times. How many times is Paul's name in the book of Acts? 129. See, Barnabas was willing to take a back seat to Paul because he knew Barnabas knew it was not about him. Now, Barnabas also knew it wasn't about Paul. Barnabas knew it was about Christ. Barnabas had the attitude of John, I must decrease so that he could increase. Barnabas took a back seat so Paul could take the front seat so that God could be glorified and Christ could be magnified. Paul said, or Barnabas said, if it is the case that by the voice and the works of Paul, God is, God is glorified and Paul is Jesus is magnified, I will take the back seat. Sometimes we do not see this in the Lord's church. And we should be willing to take a back seat to further the cause of Christ. You know, a preacher sometimes is unwilling to take a back seat to a more effective preacher. Not necessarily an older preacher not wanting to take a back seat. It could be a younger preacher not wanting to take a back seat. I've known some preachers, they don't want anybody preaching in their pulpit. It's not yours, brother. That's God's pulpit. And whoever can do the most effective work at a particular time ought to be the one speaking and teaching and preaching. Sometimes it is the case among elders. I want to take that back seat. That is, there may be one who's been in the eldership for some time. There's new man or new men in the eldership. I'm going to have to give up some of my responsibilities. I'm going to have to give up some of my prominence. People have looked to me for some time. They need to be looking to them. They need to be coming along, but I don't want to give that up. Sometimes it is the case that an elder or elders might keep other elders down because they don't want to take a back seat, even though this one could perhaps perform whatever particular work in a more effective way and the cause of Christ be uh, be of great benefit. I want to point something out here. What is the purpose of of elders? They are leaders. And if elders are keeping other elders down, or if an elder is keeping other elders down, they have to go this way. Look Look at the direction of my body. Notice how I'm leading those that are following me down. When there are churches and elders refuse to practice the true liberality of Christianity and are willing to, let me step back so this brother can really do this work. He is much more talented. He is much more accomplished here. I'm supporting him. I'm right with him. We're in the eldership, but this man can really do it. Church is just going down. It is also the case, and I have to be careful how I word this because I do not want to be offensive. It is also the case that sometimes an older generation may hinder a younger generation. Now, I'm 51 years old. I would like to say I'm middle-aged. But if I'm middle-aged, hello, 102. I'm past middle age. You know, my mama one time said, Son, you're 50 years old. I said, Yeah, mama, but you got a son that's 50 years old. I hope and pray that the church, that members of the church never put me on a ship. But I also hope and pray that as I get older that I do not hinder the next generation from being the best they can be for the church of Christ. Sometimes it is the case, and I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm not talking necessarily even about 20s, 20 years old, 30s. 40s, I have heard some brethren say, well, you know, this is the generation of Rehoboam. The the, the kids are trying to run the church. Uh, They're listening to the foolish. We strive as those that are older to bring up those that are younger. We ought to be willing to step back and let them step up that the cause of Christ may go forward. Paul's role of being more prominent, being more recognized, did not diminish the work of Barnabas. Brethren, Barnabas was a man who was willing to take the back seat. We ought to be liberal like Barnabas, demonstrating a self-sacrificing spirit, willing to take the back seat that the cause of Christ I'd go forward. Number three. We see in Barnabas the liberal spirit of giving second chances. The liberal spirit of giving second chances. We're in the book of Acts. Open your Bibles to chapter 12. And let's read, let's complete a verse we've already read, verse 25. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. All right, so they're taking John and Mark. Cody, don't, don't come up here. Now look at chapter 13 and verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. All right, let's go to chapter 15. Let's follow this through. Acts chapter 15, and let's begin with verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Why did Mark return to Jerusalem? There's no way to answer that with any certainty. But let's think of our own self. I wonder if perhaps Mark was just a little bit fearful. You know, in Jerusalem, he'd seen the things happen to the apostles. And where where did we read this? In chapter 12, he comes from Jerusalem with them. What happened at the beginning of chapter 12? The apostle James had been put to death. Peter had been cast into prison, though he was released. He had seen all of these things. He travels with them now. They're at Cyprus. They go from Salamis to Paphos, And what did they endure? We don't have a full record, but we see Bar-Jesus, who confronts Paul, and Paul deals with that. Then they're going to, they go into Perga of Pamphylia, and you get to thinking, I don't know if I want to do all this. For a young man, you read Judges chapter 7, and God said, Your army, getting is too large. Tell those that are fearful and afraid to go home. I don't know if he was afraid. He could have been. You know, it, it, perhaps it wasn't fear. Maybe it was family. We know his mother lived in Jerusalem. Her house was there. Maybe he was thinking about, have you ever been, have you ever gotten homesick before? I just want to go home. I just want to be with my family. Tell you what, then and I have seven children. Two of them now live in Austin. Now, that's hard. When your family's away, my parents live in Tennessee. It's eight hundred miles to get there. And you know, I, I talk to my mama. I talk to my daddy. I might get my phone out. And I might do a FaceTime. Tell my mama, we're gonna FaceTime. Said, what in the world is he talking about? FaceTime. We get homesick sometimes. I don't know if it was family. You know, it could have been fatigue. Preacher students. Uh, you young men and young women who are attending school here at Southwest, do you ever experience any fatigue? <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for this. Maybe he just lost his focus. Is there anyone here who has never lost your spiritual focus? Anybody? I don't know what the reason was. But the fact of the matter is, he left. And to Paul, it wasn't a good reason. Barnabas was willing to give Mark a second chance. Now, let's look at this from both sides of the spectrum. Let's look at this from Paul's viewpoint. When you look at this from Paul's viewpoint, Mark is unreliable. Mark is untrustworthy. Mark lacks courage. You know, you think of uh, Luke chapter 9, starting about verse, what, fifty. 758, where a disciple comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I will go with thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus, knowing the heart of all men, looks at this man and says, Foxes have holes in the birds of the air and nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Are you ready for this? Foxes can find a place of safety, birds can find a place of rest. I don't have that. Are you willing to give up all for that? And then Jesus points to one man and says, Come and follow me. He says, well, let me go first and bury my father. Now, we can try to come up with every way to explain that. I don't see any reason not to take it for what it says. Let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. And then one man says, Lord, I will follow thee. Let me first go tell everyone by. Jesus says, any man that's put his hand to the plow, and looking back, you ever tried to to till up a row in a garden, and you're looking like this? It's not going to be a straight row. And if you're sowing the seed of the kingdom, you better put it in a straight row. And Paul says, Mark is looking back. He's not fit. But now let's look at this from the viewpoint of Barnabas. How often do you suppose Barnabas prayed for Mark? That Mark would be strengthened, that Mark would be encouraged, that Mark would return to the ministry? Do you suppose that, that Barnabas ever sat down with Mark and, and spoke to him words of encouragement? Dig down deep into your heart, be strong. Can you imagine how disheartening it would have been, how discouraging it would have been to Mark for Barnabas to come and say, son, I've been praying for you and I know I've been encouraging you, but we're going to leave you behind. No. Barnabas said, Mark, you're going to get a second chance. Brethren, we ought to be liberal like Barnabas with a selfless spirit, thinking of Mark, not himself, and consider others, demonstrating a spirit of second chance, encouraging others, willing to give them a chance to prove, to redeem themselves from past weaknesses, from faults and from mistakes. before I stepped up to speak Cody was announcing Ronnie Sherfish will be speaking on the topic of be liberal and a young man sitting next to me says uh, where do you stand on being liberal I said I give it two thumbs up I don't give it I don't give liberal in the sense of not being re, of being unrestricted from truth of uh, not holding to the Word of God, of casting off apostolic doctrine and Bible authority. No. But a selfless generosity, as the Bible admonishes, the attitude that we should have uh, of all the areas where we can be truly liberal. Absolutely. rather we ought to be liberal like Barnabas, forgetting self and thinking of others giving up advantage for self so that it advantages others for the Christ. Willing to take a back seat if the cause of Christ, if someone else doing this work in the cause of Christ is more effective and causes the borders of the kingdom to expand to a greater degree than I could do, let me step back and encourage. Brethren, we ought to be like Barnabas, willing to give second chances when others are seeking to redeem themselves rather than trying to keep them down. What is the end of true liberality? The true liberality of Christianity? It's Bargain. It's encouragement to the church. Thank you for your time.